on the job with Francis Leach and Sally Rugg. On the job, the podcast, all about making your working life better. Francis Leach with you. Flying solo today because Sally can't be with us, which is a shame because we've got a brilliant episode of the program for you today because we're going in the Wayback Machine with our good friend, Dr. Liam Byrne, to 1990 in Melbourne and a very special occasion, which I was lucky enough to be at. Dr. Liam, welcome back to On the Job. How are you going? G'day, Francis. I'm well. Always good to be here. How are you? I'm really well. I'm really excited about this. So a couple of weeks ago, an email pops into my inbox. It's got your name attached to it. It says Mandela Audio. And I go, what's going on here? And I've had an inkling that this might be that special meeting in 1990. And it turned out that it was. And you've discovered the audio of a a really historic moment uh, in Melbourne in 1990 when Madiba, Nelson Mandela, freshly released from Robben Island, visited Australia to say thank you to the Australian Union Movement for their support throughout his struggle against apartheid. Tell us what you found and what we're going to hear. Firstly, Francis, I should apologise. Like most historians, I show affection by randomly sending historical materials to people. So it's just a, a sign of uh, our friendship, uh, I guess. But, but I was astounded um, when I found it. It actually comes from the ACTU archives. I wasn't at the meeting, unfortunately. I'm super jealous of the fact that you were, but I hadn't seen this piece of material before. And I stumbled across it, and similar to you, just said the name Nelson Mandela. And I thought, well, I'm going to put aside everything that I'm doing and absolutely listen to this straight away. Uh, and it was this incredible meeting that took place as part of Mandela's tour in 1990. He'd been released from prison in February that year. He'd actually undergone surgery and then went on this massive tour. The guy was like incredibly, incredibly strong uh, sort of person. And so he came and he sp- uh, spoke first up in Sydney at a union organized meeting up there at the front of the Opera House and then down in Melbourne, uh, the Melbourne Town Hall, to a meeting of thousands of unionists that was organized by the ACTU and the Victorian Tradesville Council. And just an incredible uh, expression of solidarity uh, with Mandela and then by Mandela during his speech. And yeah, I'm not sure about you, when I, I listened to it, even just the first few seconds of it, when you could just hear the applause for Mandela being there by the Gabbard Unionists, I started to tear up and just get really emotional. It was very, very uh, you know, connected to that sort of memory. Even though I wasn't there, like connected to that history of that struggle. It was an incredible time. So my memory of it was, I remember being on the air at Triple J the night that he walked out of uh, of prison and watching that happen live on television mm. while I was on air and talking about it on the radio. So historical moment there as a broadcaster and then sort of watching that tour that you talk about take place because it was a seismic shift. Now, what we have to remind people is that the shift from apartheid didn't happen automatically because of Mandela release. There was a lot of hard work to be done in between times. There's a lot of violence that was to flow from that, both uh, within the black community in South Africa and also from from white extremists as well. It, it was became a very difficult time after that, but the sense of excitement and hope was palpable when he was released. And it was also that incredible experience because we'd grown up in the shadow of apartheid as, a, as an issue that sort of in some way stalked the Cold War as well. And it was a Cold War issue too because South Africa played its role in that too. And, and the struggle within the Australian context really started with the union movement, didn't it? In the 60s with the with banning ships that were coming into port that might have uh, South African cargoes and then it moved into the sporting realm with the boycott and the, the very vociferous and strong and, and memorable and sometimes violent protests against the tours of the Springboks, the South African rugby team who were eventually banned from competing and then again with the cricket, with the South African cricket team being uh, ostracised from international cricket, the African boycott of the 1976 Montreal Olympic Games because of the issues of South Africa and the Commonwealth approach to that. 
And in popular culture, I mean, there's a song by the specials called Nelson Mandela, which was That's right, as, yeah. as a young mod, rude boy skinhead, was close to my heart. So Mandela was this mythical figure who we never saw or heard from because he was imprisoned on Robben Island and it was in the age before the internet, before we could talk on Zoom, before we could send texts or tweets or anything like that. It was just a photo of him or two that was going around from his time of, of his trial when he was sentenced to, to Robben Island and very little else. So when he emerged, you know, strong and, and vibrant and, and, and just full of character and confidence and compassion, it was like <laughs> messianic coming. It was, that's the power that meeting had because we could finally see the man in the flesh. Really important back uh, stories is in the prehistory to some of these sort of points. And I say because I know that a lot of younger comrades and so on who are listening probably don't know the full extent of the story. But so apartheid was established as a, a formal system of racism in South Africa in 1948. Obviously, there was racism before then and had been, but that was when the system was created. At that time, it was very, very common for parties, for governments around the world to support the apartheid regime. There was support for it. And by 1949, there's some evidence of unions in Australia opposing and formally opposing apartheid. And in the 1950s, of actually taking action. So the trade unions in South Africa called for unions internationally to ban um, South, Af South African goods. And it was the Waterside Workers and the Siemens Union in Australia who answered that call. And Mandela refers to that, um, you know, how in the 1950s, when governments around the world were still supporting the regime, when the civil society organisations were still refusing to condemn apartheid, the Australian, some Australian unions, particularly those two, the Waterside Workers and the Siemens Union, took action. And that's just an incredible sort of part of our history. But as Mandela relates in, uh, in the meeting, that for those who are struggling against apartheid in South Africa, having somebody somewhere stand up, take the risk, take action and support you was incredible. It was something that was so meaningful to them because that's one of the things that the oppressors often tend to do is that they try to make resistance organizations feel isolated. And there's these little moments of solidarity that you see. Um, Robert Kennedy actually in a speech he to live in South Africa in the 60s when he was speaking against apartheid, he referred to tiny ripples of hope and how these tiny ripples of hope can become a wave to sort of sweep aside oppression. Well, this is one of those tiny ripples of hope that begins to build up into the wave of anti-apartheid activity that came later. But this is really important to remember. At that time, when there was not a mass movement against apartheid across the world, which did develop um, particularly from the 60s, but mostly in the 70s and 80s, before that happened, it was Australian unions, the Waterside Workers and the Siemens Union, so both precursors to the Maritime Union of Australia, I should say, who answered the call. And that's a really important part of history, which is um, forgotten. Also, I should say, the Menzies government at the time, the Conservative government, tried to criminalise that activity, just like many other times when unionists have taken action for progressive change. They've been criminalised, they've been attacked by Conservatives. This is something that's pretty consistent in our history as well. So it's an amazing moment. And Mandela, true to his word, uh, never forgot and was forever grateful. And one of the things that I have, and I wish I'd been able to find it ahead of today's conversation, I'm still, I've still got it somewhere in my archive, is a letter that all union members across the country received on his arrival in Australia, a letter of thanks to Australian unionists saying exactly that. It came on ACTU and ANC letterhead uh, saying thank you for your support and how much it meant to uh, the comrades who were fighting apartheid both in jail and elsewhere uh, in Africa at the time. It was never forgotten. The gratitude was deep, it was long and it was lasting and, and that's why he came to talk to us. It would be wonderful if anybody out there listening has one, that uh, a copy of this letter they can link into us. I'd love to see it. It'd be so uh, amazing to see. But I mean, even just hearing the meeting, I mean, the emotion is so deep and so raw at the meeting. You hear it in Mandela's uh, speech. You could hear it in the speeches that are delivered. So you know, other speakers from the Australian Union movement. I just, you can just hear how moved they are just for that coming together. That, as you say, that after being physically held apart by Mandela's imprisonment for so long, the ability to actually just be with others, 
to talk, you know, tell his story, to talk about what's going on. It's a deeply, deeply rich sort of experience. And I wasn't lucky enough to be there. I was, um, I, I think a good excuse for me was that I was three years old at the time. <laughs> uh, so I wasn't able to attend that one. But still, the power of Mandela's story and, you know, has endured. And, you know, somebody who I, you know, read Long Walk to Freedom, which is his autobiography many times. I remember he, he actually toured Australia. Uh, subsequently in 2000 after he ceased to be president of South Africa. And it's a story which really, you know, continues to connect because it is fundamentally a story of liberation, of freedom, of people who organize a part of a movement and would, you know, are, are taking action, collective action to achieve change. And one of the things about Mandela is that even though he was, you know, he, very much a leader of that and, you know, should be recognized for that important leadership role, was he himself was so humble and dignified and always acknowledged and always talked about the movement, the movement within South Africa, of course, most importantly, but the movement of solidarity around the rest of the world and the contributions that it made. And it's a real example, I think, when we talk about how history is made, a lot of the time, the focus is on, you know, sort of like the, you know, the people in parliaments or the people of great esteem and title. Nelson Mandela was a leader because he was an activist. He was an organizer. You know, that's where his leadership originally came from. And that's how he moved history alongside millions of others. And that's what he acknowledged. And that's a really important part of his story and why I think he will be so defining for so many you know, decades to come for all of us who seek progressive change. Because you know, it's, it's not just that he endured so much that he did. It was that he was able to achieve change in concert with so many others. And so we were part of that story too, which is something that Australians should be very proud of. Let's take you to the Melbourne Town Hall. The date is October 25, 1990. 
Nelson Mandela speaking to a crowd in Melbourne on October the 25th, 1990, a crowd that I was so very fortunate to be part of as he explained his vision for a new world after apartheid. Thanks to Dr. Liam Byrne for bringing that to our attention and sharing that with us from the ACTU archive. I'm going to get Liam to dive back into that archive. There must be so much more great stuff in there that he can share with us. And we're glad that we could share it with you because it is part of your history as well. Thanks for being with us on the job. Sally, we'll be back next week. Don't forget, you can email us at any time, otjpodcast at protonmail.com, otjpodcast at protonmail.com. Any questions, suggestions, ideas for stories, Send them through. We'd love to hear from you. My name is Francis Leach, and we'll catch you next week.